This interview today is very compelling and inspiring. My guest is a realtor, but we talk about being a chef. We talk about him being a motivational speaker. We talk about being an entrepreneur. He talks about battling multiple sclerosis and the challenges he had to and has to overcome, about faith, about empathy. We touched on a lot of points in this interview, and I really think you'll like it. Like I said, it's very inspirational. Please give it up for my friend and fraternity brother, Jeff Lewis. Jeff, how's it going? Man, blessed, RJ. Good to see you. Good to hear your voice. Hey, uh, same, I love same. what you're doing with this. Uh, <laughs> let me preface real quick, because I, I was telling my wife yesterday, we had already talked about, you know, you and I are getting together and doing this, but I was mentioning to her that, you know, we're in the same fraternity. We're saints. We pledge at the same time, different schools. You're University of Texas. I'm Texas A&M University. But, and, and of course, our social circles, when it comes to the bros, you know, it's a, it's a rather large circle, but it's certain individuals. I don't have to see them all the time. Right. But, like, you guys, like, legit hold a special place in our heart. Like, seriously, for so many different reasons. But just on GP, man, you were one of the cool, we connected. And I don't have to talk to you every day, but when I do, we pick right back up where we left off and keep moving it. So, hey. as we get older... We appreciate them type those type of relationships. They're yes. genuine. So yep. I enjoy this. Uh, thanks, thanks. And I want to reciprocate. Same thing. I feel the same exact way. And same with Natalie. We feel the same exact way. So, yep. All right. So, hey, thanks, man. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. I appreciate it. Pleasure. My and, pleasure. you know, let's just jump into it. So let's do it. Let's go. What do you do? So that's a that's a loaded question. And I mean, <laughs> what I mean by that is one. I am a professional, what I consider a real estate change agent, everywhere from investments, buying, selling, everything that's associated with real estate. That is my current professional job description of what I do on a day-to-day basis. My passion and what I have slowly been transitioning into is motivational and informational uh, public speaking. Mm. Uh, That's something I started a journey on. I mean, honestly and truly back when I was in high school, not realizing that it would play a part and a role in not only my maturation process as an entrepreneur and as a businessman, but as a long term goal that I want to monetize and continue to, one, spread hope, give people a perspective based on my own personal experience and the things that I've been through, one, running a business, being an entrepreneur, two, going through that process of being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and having to you know, pull myself up by my bootstraps and make a decision that, hey, you're going to either fight or flight. And so what I do on a day-to-day basis, I'm a real estate agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that transition from me being a chef and from graduating from AM and becoming an accountant to transitioning to the catering world and becoming right. a chef. And that's why I say it's kind of a loaded question because to understand how I became a real estate agent, you kind of got to understand what I was doing before right? because I did not want to go back to corporate America. That was just me personal. Nothing against it. My, I believe it plays a role in everybody's. You do what fits your mold. That's the way I feel. I'm not a nine to fiver. Right. I, I, I realized early I like to move to my own speed, my own tune. And I like working for myself. And I think anybody that works for themselves will tell you. I use the phrase, you eat what you kill. Because in right. reality, no paid 401k. Right. There's no paid holidays. There's no PTO. <laughs> you know, all these these things associated with having a corporate job. So you're literally working around the clock. 
whether you're physically doing it, mentally you are, because you're constantly thinking. So I know that was an all over the place answer, but I'm currently a real estate agent slash motivational informational speaker for the National Association of Multiple Sclerosis Houston chapter. Okay. So definitely have the entrepreneurial spirit. Like you mentioned at first, you were a chef, real estate agent, motivational speaker. Now with the real estate agent, let's start there. When people think about realtors or real estate agents, mm-hmm. uh, I guess a lot of times what they really just think of is someone looking for homes, right? But right. I mean, but you're doing absolutely. But you're doing Absolutely. what you're doing from the negotiating uh, uh, for your clients, right. you're coordinating for your clients, communicating with several people, writing the offers, the walkthroughs, all plural. that. So offers, you said it right, plural. Yes, offers. Yes. <laughs> so can you can you talk about that right. a little bit? Yeah. Absolutely. About Absolutely. So I'm glad you said that. And again, I want to preface with RJ, I genuinely believe if every individual walking on God's green earth had to run a business, I used to say for a whole year, no. If everybody had to run a business from A to Z, the Alpha, the Omega, for one month, I think we would all take a step back and be more empathetic, more compassionate, more understanding, have more of an open mind when you're dealing with a business. Because you said it best. People understand what they see. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, when I was catering, I tell people when that plate of food is on your is when it's literally sitting in front of you, you got to track whether it's meat, vegetable. Where did it grow? Where did it come from? All the way to that point to where it's sitting in front of you. And a lot of hands have touched it. The individuals that's responsible for getting that product to you has done so much on the front end Mm. that you're just seeing the finished product. You have no idea what went into that. So as a real estate agent, one, I want to say I sympathize with every real estate agent out there because one, it is not for anyone that is lazy. It's not for the faint of heart. You have to have the mental fortitude to be able to change and conform to situations because they change on the regular. Mm. I think you also need to have a dose of being a psychologist because Mm. lots of times you spend most of your time managing your client's emotion. Buying a house is typically for, I would say, majority of people. That is the largest purchase they're going to make in life, typically. And so, therefore, there's a lot attached to that. Your life. (laughs) You know, your savings, you know, one of my worst clients and my best clients was actually a family member of mine because Mm. trying to get her to understand that you want this place, you have to put the money down for it. That's what it is. (laughs) And when somebody's never dropped twenty thousand dollars for anything in life, that's a really hard pill to swallow. Yeah. And so, you know, you're literally telling this person that came to you that said they wanted to buy something that it's okay to put the money down to buy what they asked you what they told you about what they wanted to buy. It's like you're, <laughs> we're literally, de- we're having our own debate about what you asked me to do for you. And you're not helping me help you because you're fighting me on what you're going to have to do. This isn't subjective. <laughs> it's not an opinion. You're going to have to do this. So there's so many levels to it. When you said offers, I jokingly responded, yes, plural, because there are lots of times where you will submit an offer. And an offer isn't a picking up the phone and calling somebody and saying, hey, what's up? Listen here, I have a client here. We want to buy this for this. Let's do it. No, we're talking lots of paperwork. We're talking um, lots of outside variables that have nothing to do with what you're doing that are going to have an effect on the end result. And what I mean by that is I can have a client, let's say a client who has subpar credit. I personally, as a professional going into this, this is going to be a little bit more challenging. I also am aware that most human beings want more than what they can afford. Right. And so I'm having to, one, manage your emotions as we go through this process. Two, 
I want to educate you as much as possible before we start, because I've come to find it makes my life and my job a lot easier. The more educated you are on this process, the better we're going to we're going to work together in tandem. I personally feel like we spend most of our time managing emotions than we do on the actual work side. Wow. Seriously. Seriously. You know, everybody's different. You have different demographics. And keep this in mind. These are things that you take for granted. It's one thing to represent a client that you have something in common with. Right. That you understand culturally, whatever those variables are, but you actually connect and, and understand each other on that. It's another to represent somebody that you have. Your culture is, is totally different. Mm-hmm. Your ways of going about business are totally different. And mm-hmm. I want to be clear. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just a different way of doing it. And I've had international clients that I've dealt with that are more, I would say, aggressively bullish than I am. Mm. And therefore, I've had to learn myself not to become them in the process, meaning you can try and bully ball me all you want to. (laughs) But I know how I need to speak to this other agent. I know I need to speak to these individuals. And though you want an answer right this second, again, I have to manage your emotions to explain to you that the individual I called, they're probably getting four or five offers on that. Right. Which which you think is important isn't important to that individual. So everything doesn't move as fast as you may want at this moment. But I have to manage that. I have to yeah. I have to know the personality type I'm dealing with. Some people I tell them up front. Some people I'll have a discussion on the back end. You just kind of you got to be a chameleon. You got to be able to right. work with your client. All right. But it's a challenge. It's definitely a challenge. Yeah, it seems like it. So. So let's say, and I know you said you're dealing with both buyers and sellers. So so mm-hmm. let's say for buyers. Mm-hmm. What does that process look like? I, okay. I guess it starts with pre-approval. Is it starting there? Or? RJ, yeah. that is the most important <laughs> part of starting that process. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to be clear. Mm-hmm. Not an insult to somebody. It's mm-hmm. not, especially the older you get, your time becomes a lot more valuable. And I find that, especially in business, I don't encourage people to take a loss. But when you do, it helps you basically figure out, okay, why did that happen? And what can I do to ensure it doesn't pre-approvals? I learned the hard way. My broker told me some of my peers that are in industry told me you want to ensure that you get a pre-approval letter from somebody because my line brother, one of my best friends, he was the best man in my wedding, Danny Harvey. He would always say to me all the time when we were coming up in college, he would say, man, Jeff, a pair of lips and a tongue will tell you anything. (laughs) And you know, you're so nice that you got to remember sometimes, man, people are going to tell you what they think you want to hear. And I can have a client tell me they want to get a quarter of a million dollar house. And I'm excited. They're excited. Let's go do this. And without a pre-approval, you can go through that entire process. Oh, man. You could have shown this individual 10 different homes and living in Houston, Texas. Not only do we have a lot of people, but geographically, the city is huge. So if we're all over the place, you can log a lot of miles, hours, gas, time just to find out. You mean to tell me you can't afford this house this whole time we've been looking and doing all this? You can't afford it when it comes time to verify that. So that's something I had to learn early on, RJ, that you Mm -hmm. can't, you know, and and it it hurts because it's lots of times it's the people closest to you, your friends and your family network, because that's typically what you start off with. But business is business. And I've honestly had to learn that. Coming from where I come from, I'm a doer, a helper. I'm yeah. seeking out trying to help people. But in some respects, some things are business, meaning you got to qualify. You have to be right. credit worth mm-hmm. because otherwise you're wasting your time and mine. And that's time that I could be helping somebody else that is and time that you could be working on getting your credit and, and your money in order. Yeah. All right. 
So, so that was a surprise to you, the pre-approval process mm. before you started. Any other surprises before you started, like you know, yes. getting into it? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, I won't say any names. <laughs> <laughs> They'll understand, but the outside world won't by what I'm going to say. You literally have to be ready for anything. Mm. And when I say anything, RJ, I mean anything. Mm. Because, again, somebody that is extremely close to me that I represented, I worked, I mean, to this day, it's probably one of the hardest deals I ever had to start from the very beginning and literally work this thing with it falling apart and, um, several times along the way. Uh, we're talking almost five months of just literally almost day in and day out of trials and tribulations just coming. And mm. the minute you think you, you fix something, something else happens. And I had worked this deal to the point where, and I'm typically a very laid back person, but it was personal because it was a family member and it was very close, not only to their well-being, but our own in a sense. And it's nothing but, I'm serious when I say it's nothing but God that I even got to this point because there were times where things would happen and you would say, okay, how am I going to get out of this one? How am I going to fix this one? How am I going to go around and navigate this situation to get to the end goal, which is to get this household? The roof caved in the very first day that I listed the home. I am not the the roof caved in in the living room. Mm. And I was like, you've got to be what? joking. This doesn't happen. Well, I didn't even see it. I didn't even see it coming. Didn't realize it was going to happen. That was just one. There's a whole list of things I could say. But the one that hurt the most was after finally doing all of this work and navigating through challenging situations, we got to the closing. And I found a buyer out of California who didn't even want to come and see the property. They just wanted the land. That's what they were more interested in. He explained to me, for the size of the lot that you're going to sell me at the price you're going to sell it to me, it would cost me over $4 million in California. Mm. So here's a legit investor that is credit worthy, financially ready. He's ready to go. Yeah. We get to the closing table to find out that this individual whose house I was selling was in bankruptcy and I had no idea. You cannot sell a house when you are uh. currently in a bank bankrupt situation. Filed for bankruptcy to keep another situation from going awry, but not realizing when you did that, you're no longer allowed to sell your house without paying out all of your creditors. Mm. So we literally went from a situation, this house was debt free and clear. So I'm literally looking at a situation where, okay, you're going to clear north of almost $150,000, which again, it's your homestead, you're not going to get taxed, doesn't happen to everybody that often. So, oh no, you owe all this money, this was mm. supposed to set you up in life. And the bottom line is right. it was a hard blow. Yeah. And that was probably one of the first times I actually felt like the nervous shakes, like, oh, my gosh, this is going to change everything. Mm. A lot of people were depending on this for different reasons. And how you didn't know you were in bankruptcy? Like, how yeah. how did I know that you were this house was not able to be sold? So long story short, another month got tacked on. I had to navigate the situation with the buyer. Yeah. Um, anybody's dealt with big money investors, they, their time is, is very important and they yeah. don't wait. And so here I am trying to manage his emotions as well as my client's emotions, as well as my family's emotions. And while you're doing all that, I got big shoulders. I can handle it. But nobody's checking on you. You just right. got to make it happen. Make it happen. So you have to be a chameleon. You have to be ready for any and everything. And then realize at the end of the day, you only control what you control like anything else in life. And as long as you put your best foot forward, success or failure, you know you did your part. You did your part to ensure that the end goal was met. And if it wasn't, it's not because of something I did. Right. 
And it seems like these obstacles are things that happen to you. You've learned from it. So from there, you oh, know, absolutely. going forward, what to do, what not to do. Yeah. What right. look out for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so some of these clients you're talking about, now, how are you getting these new clients? Are they word of mouth? Are they web ads? Right. What are you doing? So, or relationships with right. Andrew? Funny enough, RJ, I've been blessed even when I had my catering company. And keep in mind, I was not a classically trained chef when I did that. Mm-hmm. That was something I just stepped out and did on my own. I was sitting down with my wife and then we prayed about it and literally, literally stepped out on faith. Mm. I was able to do things in that sector of business that prepared me for what I'm doing now. Mm. What I mean by that is, for one, I didn't know what I was doing, RJ. Okay. Mm. I think most of the time when you start into something, it's almost like you can you can take a class, you can learn, but hands-on is how you honestly and truly come to understand what it is that you're doing. Right. And not to go. I've been blessed enough that I've done good business with people, that referrals have been the base of what I do. Mm-hmm. I do market somewhat. And I do believe that you get out what you put in. What I mean by that is, yes, you want to have a marketing budget, especially these days with technology. It doesn't cost near as much as it used to. Mm-hmm. You can use free social media platforms in order to do that kind of stuff. But I've been blessed enough that majority of my business comes from referrals. I learned in catering. Do right by people. Do what you say you're going to do. And if it doesn't, it has to be an act of God why it didn't. And if they trust you and they like you, RJ, you don't have to be the best at what you do. As long as you're honest and you have like good moral conduct and you follow through on what you say, they're going to keep rocking with you because they trust you. Not because you're the best, but because they trust you and they know that you're going to hold their better interest in hand. And that's something that I've done not only when I was catering, but even now. When I'm representing someone, I want to ensure that, one, what I tell you is going to happen. Two, I'm going to put my best foot forward to ensure that it happens. And then three, if it doesn't, it's clear to both of us. It's not because of something I did. Right. And then when you have a client and I give you an example. I had a client, a repeat client that I've done business with. This was our second transaction, but I've since done a third with them. I was representing them against a new build with a builder. Builders give you what's called a BTSA, which is basically a bonus. You bring us a client, we're going to pay you an extra bonus for bringing them to us. It's very easy as an agent to take advantage of your clients. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, am I bringing you here because I'm trying to get a bigger check or am I bringing you here because I think this is what's best for you? And I've always 100% kept my moral conduct in front. I will never, for the sake of making money, and that was even when I was catering, I'm not going to do something that's self-serving while putting what your needs and wants on the back burner. One, as an oath you take as an agent, you're always supposed to put your clients first. It's a fiduciary agreement. Always put them first. But I'd be lying if I said that. I don't want to generalize, but I would – It's It's pretty scary how many agents don't. I put it that way. My clients did everything they were supposed to do. We were about 5,000 off of what we needed in order for them to be able to close. And so what the builder did was instead of giving the bonus to me, which he explained to me was, well, look, I'll tell you what. Give your BTSA to your client. There we are. So what they do is they'll use that bonus and then use it as a negotiation tool. And I've seen agents do it, RJ. I've seen agents say, you know what? I'm not going to do that. And just go back to their client and say, hey, this is the best they can do. You guys want it? Figure it out. For $5,000. Right. What I come to find is uh, in that situation, I went to them and said, okay, look, I'm going to forego my bonus because by doing this, this will get you at the number you need. And I told you at the beginning of this process, I'm going to do everything in my power to ensure that we get to where this end goal is, the way that we said we're going to get there. And 
that you walk away feeling confident that you can tell somebody else about me when this is over. So I ended up giving it away. And to some people, that's not a lot of money. Well, in my life, that's a lot of money. That was a lot of money. (laughs) But the irony is I ended up making two times that on the next deal I did with him. Mm. And so my point is you can't look at it. You got, you literally got to have the, see the forest through the trees type optics on these situations. Don't do something for a quick buck because one, you truly reap what you sow. Two, what's the long-term goal with this? And they can confidently go and tell somebody, let me tell you what my agent did for me. Let me tell you what he did for me. And that word of mouth and those true genuine stories are what make people say, let me pick up the phone and call that person right now. Well, you know what? That all makes sense because truly you are one of the most genuine dudes I know, very honest. So yeah, that definitely makes sense that most of your clients are coming from word of mouth and referrals to use. That's good. So, hey, let's talk about a typical day for you. What does that look like? Okay. Again, I don't care what you're doing in life. This is a term that I tell people and it's the truth. If you put the same hustle behind yourself Mm -hmm. that you put behind a job that you are required to come in at a certain time, work a certain amount of hours and complete these duties. If you treat your business that way, mm-hmm. nine times out of 10, I mean, nothing's a utopia, nothing's a hundred percent, but nine times out of 10, you're going to eat. You're going to be successful. So the first thing I tell myself is one, one, I am a very hands-on parent. So mm-hmm. the last thing we do is we, we say our prayers and we put our kids to sleep. And I always pray for my family before we go to bed and it's the first thing we do before we all go our separate ways or whatever that's going to be. We start our day. We pray as a family before everybody leaves. And the last thing I always say is bring us back better than the way we left. That's mm-hmm. just like part of the process. That's part of the process. So that's the first thing. We get up in the morning, pray over my family. My amazing wife goes off to work. And depending on if we're during the school year, depending on what day it is, she'll drop them off. I'll pick them up or vice versa. She only gets off a couple of days during the week. She's a pharmacist, so she has fireman's hours. Mm-hmm. So first thing I'm going to do is go through my emails. I'm going to say a prayer, get everybody out. I'm going to go through my emails. I'm going to respond to anything I had didn't respond to that came in later in that evening. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to prospect for the day what I need to do, what's action items that need to happen right now. That's not always business, RJ. Mm-hmm. That could be ensuring that my wife's car goes to get this oil change. <laughs> take care. Or I got to meet with a teacher at this time. For me personally, when I work for myself, I almost have to be a chameleon the same way I am in real estate, the same way I am in life, because at the drop of a dime, I can get a phone call, whether it's one of my children, something needs to happen. You'll find this when you work for yourself, you become the go-to person when Uh, things uh, go by. So I can have my plans for what I'm going to do, and then I'll get a phone call. But typically, I'll go through my email, and I'll follow up on anything I need to follow up on. And then me, myself, I'm also looking for deals for not only my clients, but myself as a family. Yeah. So I'm, I'm always looking in the market and looking at different opportunities and oh, things okay. that can happen and keeping up with metrics and knowing kind of I'm not an economist, but I do like to kind of understand what is the market doing right now and where is it trending based on all the different things that are taking place. Yeah. Which is good to know and good thing to, to understand, especially even in Houston. Houston's not a typical market. Houston geographically is so big. You can have where nationally it may be a seller's market. You can have a seller's market on the north side and a buyer's market on the south side. Yeah. So you kind of got to know what's going on. So I'm always learning and always trying to feed my brain and understand more. That's good. Um, but once that once that, that morning process is done, we transition to the afternoon. I'm typically either showing, working with a buyer, or conversing at that point with different clients or prospecting individuals that I want to work with. 
once three o'clock comes, I know that, hey, it's time to transition, take my Asian hat off, put my daddy hat back on and pick up my kids. And then we're at home and we're doing homework. I did not realize when I there's so many things as a parent that I think are taboo. We don't tell each other. Mm. I didn't realize that I would literally things that I thought I made it past, faked the school world out, and made them think I understood. I'm really <laughs> going to have to teach it now to somebody that's literally <laughs> looking at me like, you know, everything. Right. And have to get it right and know it. Yep. And so there's pressures that come along with that. You want to ensure <laughs> that your kids are getting what they need. You know, I used to professionally work as a chef. So then I'm also now I'm getting dinner ready as well. And so there's a lot. There's a lot going on. But I love it. I love it. And I, yes, it's hard work. Yes, it's challenging. But no day is the same. And I prefer it that way for me, my personality mm-hmm. type. I jokingly say I'm at my best and operate in chaos. Yeah. Seriously. I do my best work when things are spiraling. It's probably not the best responsible way of going about stuff. But for <laughs> me personally, that's how I thrive. And, and I tell other people when they want to work for themselves, do you seriously yeah. figure out your personality trait? You don't have to conform to what I mean, there's generalizations. There's things that you want to do. Get up in the morning. Don't sleep until five o'clock and then think this is going to fall off the sky. But figure out what best fits your personality type and actually put emphasis on the things that are positive. One of the things I struggle with, RJ, is I'm not very organized. I'm not. I'm not. And I've tried. I've put all these different process improvements in place but sometimes it makes more sense to spend a little money once you have it mm-hmm. on whether it's crm something that's going to keep you organized right or you know once you get those opportunities build on your strengths and accept where you're weak and, and do your best you can try to you know you can try to do better in those areas but if you can actually find a way to whether it's someone else be responsible for that aspect or these days an application, be responsible for that aspect. You can free up your time to do the things you're best at. And I find that once I figured out my niche in that, oh, life became so much easier. Mm. An unorganized person became organized. I put it that way. Nice. Well, that's good. Finding uh, either your weaknesses or things that you can strengthen and work right. on strengthening that. Yeah. Right. Now, now one of the things you said that you do is feeding your brain and learning about the markets. What are you doing to do that? Like, what type of platforms right. are you using or resources? Right. So through the Houston Association of Realtors, we actually get different tools that help us and assist us in collecting that data. Mm. So that's something you can run on a daily basis. And keep in mind, the market's changing daily, hourly. I mean, things are happening. I can look at a home that was on the market at noon, and by 4 o'clock, it's gone. So Mm. you kind of got to stay active in doing that because things change minute to minute, hour to hour, day to day. But I actually enjoy that part. I'm interested in that because, one, you get to see a trend. You get to know what's going on. And then, two your buyers and your sellers feel confident that you're going to actually be good at what you're doing for them because you understand the market um, and it changes. It changes. It literally changes on a daily basis. <laughs> you, want to stay, yeah. you want to stay out in front of what's happening. Right. All right. So now you're communicating with whether it's the lenders, the title mm-hmm. service guys, the mm-hmm. buyer or seller, you're having to negotiate. You talk you're about being a psychologist and educating your clients. So what type of uh, skill sets and characteristics would you say are most important to be right. successful in your field? One, be a good listener at the mm-hmm. very beginning. Be a very good listener. The best way you're going to help anyone is to understand where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. and where they're trying to go. And I can't follow the cookie cutter agent booklet and just jump right into business. You need to understand where is this person coming from and where are they trying to go? And then that helps you better navigate 
the entire process. Right. So it's very important to understand where your client's coming from and where they're trying to go. The other thing is to one, you have to be a people person mm-hmm. because you think about it. It's almost like, you know, I think some of the coolest people on earth are barbers because they deal with every single person from every walk of life is coming in there at some point to get their hair cut. Yep. So they're so diverse and they they give some of the best advice. Yeah. You know, some of the best advice I, I got was from somebody that didn't go to college, didn't grow up in the best area, mm-hmm. but he was such a solid and just a big ball of wealth of knowledge mm-hmm. that I used to love going to get my hair cut because he would give me so many good perspectives on things. And even, you know, with all of my astute understanding and education <laughs> and all this different stuff, <laughs> man, some of the most simple things in life that were that were complicated for me, he would break down in such a simple way that I would walk away like, you mean to tell me all this time I've been thinking like this and it was that simple. And so you have to be like that. You literally have to be open minded and mm-hmm. a people person, because I can promise you this. You will represent individuals from all walks of life and you need to be ready for that. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. And I definitely agree with you on a barber comparison. Mm-hmm. Now, can you talk about the steps you took to get here, especially with you, that big leap going from corporate America taking that change and that risk and going into that passion of yours to be an entrepreneur. So can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah. So one, you say it's a leap of faith, RJ, because I know for me, I'm just going to speak personally from my experience, my generation, when I felt like we were raised, our parents, they, they do their best. They get you into college. It's the American dream. You go to college, you get a degree, you get a job. And you focus on starting your future and your family and all that good stuff. So the first thing I had to do is understanding you're married. (laughs) When you're married, especially when you decide you're going to quit your job and start something you have no experience in Mm -hmm. as the the next step. I knew first and foremost, I needed to sit down and and one pray, but then speak to my wife. Right. And it's funny. my, My situation, I don't know if it's typical, but I was actually cooking one day and my wife turned to me. She's like, Jeff. Have you ever been interested in doing something with that? I was like, what are you talking about? She goes, well, I notice you're always so happy when you're cooking. Hmm. And I was like, you know, no, no, no I've, I've never thought about that. One, I owe Texas A&M eight million and <laughs> five trillion and zero dollars. So I'm not trying to start another profession right now. And uh, the irony is, though, we sat down and we talked about it. And then we literally we prayed about it. And once we both felt comfortable with it, we kind of came up with a plan and said, OK, I'm going to. I'm going to give my two weeks notice and we're literally going to step out on faith mm. and and try to do this. Yeah. Um, now, I will say I had some things in play. For one, I put the word out that I was kind of interested in looking into catering. And again, one of our frat brothers had reached out to me and said, hey, I know a marketing company downtown. They're doing an event. They're looking for a caterer. They're not huge. So this would be a good opportunity if you want to try, you know, and get into the business. And I ended up taking the opportunity. I lost. A lot of money, RJ. Mm. When I say a lot of money, a lot. One, it's very important to have a business plan. It's very important to have a business plan because it saves you from some of those losses you'll take. I didn't never thought to myself, RJ, when I took this opportunity that, oh, I need chafing dishes. Oh, my gosh, I need cutlery. Mm. Oh, my gosh, I got to buy the food. Oh, I got to, you know, there's all this aspect to it. And so I remember sitting there. The general public had no idea. I didn't know what I was doing. But I was confident that the food was going to be good. (laughs) And as people started to eat and were coming back to me, 
people start asking me for my business cards that I did not have, RJ. Mm. Um, I'm getting all these requests. The next day at work, I'm literally, I'm, I'm an accountant. I was uh, Originally, I worked for an oil and gas company as an assets allocation accountant. And so I'm working, and I'm also taking these calls. I'm literally, <laughs> I'm the receptionist. I'm booking future caterings that I have no idea how I'm going to pull off, as well as I'm, I'm literally managing an $8 million balance sheet account. So um, I'm doing all this stuff. And I remember calling my wife and was like, yeah, like I really am ready to go. I can't do it. I can't do both. So I did that literally for about six months. I literally catered on the side and was a full blown access allocation. Wow. How did you do that? I did not sleep. Mm. It was a lot of man. You know what, RJ, looking back at, I don't know how I did RJ. It was just, it's, <laughs> it's, it's literally my faith in God and just my determination not to fail. Yeah. But it was tiring. I mean, I really did. I, 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 I use the term hustling backwards. Sometimes I think as individuals, sometimes the pain, like we get self-gratification out thinking we worked really hard for something. Yeah. But you can sometimes hustle backwards. That's not necessary. You don't need to stay up two nights in a row with no sleep in order to execute something and do it right. And then to feel it to yourself, hey, man, I stayed up for two whole days straight, made this happen. Well, at what cost? <laughs> you know, like. How do you feel? How do you feel? What I ended up doing was I remember it like it was yesterday. I walked into my boss's office and I told her and she couldn't believe it. One that I was leaving because things were good. I had a good job, RJ. I had benefits. I remember money was good. The market Mm -hmm. was good. There was no reason for me to leave, but I just wasn't happy. I was miserable in the Mm -hmm. sense that I'm not a I don't sit behind a computer and crunch numbers. I love to talk to people. I love to interact. Um, And I wasn't being able to do that. Yeah. And so. When I stepped out, at that point, I had taken on um, at that point in time, it was a large it was probably one of the hottest clubs in Houston at the time. But I made a deal with the owner that I would take care of his weekend happy hours, um, the catering aspect of it. And that turned into him coming to me one day and say, what I need to do to get you over here full time. Again, RJ, being wet behind the ears and naive, not realizing one clubs are the last business you want to jump into for a long term game. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. But I took the opportunity. I was like, this is my opportunity to leave. I've negotiated with him. I'm not making what I was making by any means, but it's sustainable. Right. We didn't have kids at the time. So this is right. my opportunity to leave. And that's what I did. And you have to understand that part to get to where I am now, because I sat in a room, RJ, with people that we see at the Grammys and on the Oscars. Mm-hmm. I've negotiated against people who have millions time more than what I have. Mm-hmm. But I learned so much going through that process. I was able to cater. I don't want to say any names, but probably the largest celebrity ever to come out of the city of Houston, Texas and do things during Katrina. I'll give you an example. I can say this during Katrina, when after Katrina had happened, they had a big benefit event here in Houston where literally if you name them in the NBA, they were there. Mm. If you name them, they were there. And here I am running the show for this entire thing and being responsible for, you know, I'm interacting with these guys thinking like, wow, which ended up working in my favor, ended up going on to be a personal chef for one of those individuals. And it opened up and spawned a lot of different doors for me. What I had to also learn in that process is that once you start getting into the entertainment world, whether it's sports, music, movies, anywhere from the Knowles family to the McNair family who owns the Texans, I sat in their living room talking with the owner as we're preparing to get ready for their Christmas party. Jamie Foxx, 
I flew to New York for Fashion Week. Mm. Like I got to do a lot of cool stuff, but I learned a lot about business too and how cutthroat it is. Mm. And you would think, RJ, that people who have the most would be the easiest to work with. But what I found is sometimes they can be the most challenging. Mm. Sometimes they have a sense of entitlement and feel like you should be thankful that you have the opportunity to work with them. Wow. So people will agree to something. We're talking large numbers. We'll agree to something and then literally act like it never happened. Oh, man, no. And what I learned from that, RJ, is and it's, I don't want to cast aspersions on those individuals because lots of times you're never directly dealing with them, per se, when it comes to the finances. Got it. Okay. But it's very, again, you learn. You got to have something on paper. Right. Because a shake of the hand and being excited and jaded by a situation will leave you broke. Yeah. Not only will it leave you broke, it can leave you in the red and in the hole trying to recoup things that you thought you were going to get. So navigating in that lifestyle and working within that industry, I got to meet some of the coolest people that we see on TV or that we listen to their music. But I also got to realize that, hey, this is a very cutthroat business. And if you want to walk and talk with the big boys, you need to have your paperwork in order and yeah. you need to ensure that business is business and social is social outside of that. Right. And that's something I didn't know in the beginning, but it took getting burned a couple of times to realize, you know what? I have to tighten up. I have to tighten up and get my business side in place before I decide right. I want to do business with people who have more than me. Because big bank takes little bank every single time. <laughs> not prepared. and You're not. Ready. <laughs> That prepared me for going into any aspect. Let's say anything you want to do as it becomes to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Understanding that even as the most compassionate, loving, wanting to help everybody person, you got to have your business in line. Because if we have a disagreement, if we have a misunderstanding, this document will ensure that what I said and what you said, we don't have to debate it. Let's go back to this piece of paper and see what did we both say and sign and agree upon that this was what's going to happen. And now we don't have to have a falling out. We don't have to have a falling out because the paper says I'm right. You're wrong or vice versa. And let, let's move that way. So that's something that I learned. you got to take business seriously. You can be a loving and caring person, but you have to ensure that you put business at the forefront. And that doesn't mean you can't be compassionate. It doesn't mean you can't help people, but you have to protect yourself and your business because like my best friend, my roommate in college said, a pair of lips and a tongue, Jeff, yeah. will tell you. <laughs> It, it, it paid dividends later on. Yeah. So that prepared me for going into what I'm doing now and everything I'm going to do going forward. The one thing I love about what I do now, RJ, as a real estate agent, one of the hardest parts of becoming what, what blossoms into being a celebrity chef, you almost have to negotiate against your client and then perform a service for them. And don't get me started with weddings. That would be some of the worst. I would hate having to sit down with a mom and a bride and negotiate with them. And they're trying to squeeze everything they can out of you. Yeah. You know, because weddings are expensive and then you agree upon you agree to it and say, OK, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to do this for a little cheaper to help you out. Not realizing these people are going to still act like they're paying top dollar. They're going to forget that you're helping them out and they're going to treat you as if you owe them something. Mm. So it's best to stick to what you have on paper. And if you want to help somebody deviate from that once it's signed. Don't go into it letting people know that you're going to cut them all these breaks and do all this stuff for you. Because unfortunately, I've come to find that those clients can be your worst because yeah. you're still going to expect every last thing to go with off without a hitch. And we'll forget that you're helping them out in that process. So keep business business. Show your love and compassion on the back end after you've agreed upon something, because I can tell you, hey, I'm going to 
I'm going to represent you. It's going to cost you $50,000. But in my head, I know, no, I'm really going to charge you 30. I'm just not going to tell you that up front because mm. if I tell you that up front, you're still going to expect uh, somebody said this the other day and I laughed. They said, you want Chick-fil-A service with a CC's attitude. And it's the truth. You go to Chick-fil-A, man, they make you feel like you're the best person in the right. world. Like I'm like, the food doesn't even have to be good. You just made me feel so great about life with how personable and your manners. And <laughs> it's the truth. People want a Chick-fil-A service with a, a CC's pizza attitude. And you, I've learned, help them on the back end. Help them on the back end. Yeah. Not on the front. I love that Chick-fil-A service with CC's attitude. No, but, yeah. uh, but hey, great. No, great advice and great. The lessons learned that you came Absolutely. across and I think that's awesome that you had a great and I remember that you had a great job, but you weren't you weren't happy where you were. And you took that leap of faith, like you said, and took that risk and did something you were passionate about. So, you know, I commend you. That's awesome. I appreciate it. man. So now what do you love about what you do? OK, so I thought about that. I would be to be full transparency. I would be lying if I say I love real estate. <laughs> I enjoy it. Uh huh. It's how I feed my family. It's how I make a living. Right. But the, I would tell you what I do love about it versus when I was, because I'm not going to lie. I loved catering. I loved being a chef more than I love what I'm doing now. Yeah. But I no longer negotiate against my client and then perform a service. Now I get to go ride for my client. I get to negotiate on their behalf and do what I like to do, which is helping people. Right. In, this, in, this, in this respect, I get to help someone with the biggest purchase they're either going to sell or make typically in their life. And now I get to defend you. And it's crazy. I get more enjoyment about defending other people than myself. And so I'm a beast, mm. RJ. When I'm looking out for you, mm-hmm. oh, I'm a beast. <laughs> and it, it's crazy because when I'm doing it for myself, I'm a lot more meek, I would right. say in a sense. Right. But for other people, oh, let's go. Let's yeah. go and trust. If, if you don't know anything, I've got your back. Yeah. And I'm going to ensure that I do everything in my power to make sure that you get what you need and want out of this process. You don't ever have to wonder about that part of it. And I realize that I'm a beast when I'm riding for other people. You can ask my wife and my kids. They'll tell you I don't play. Protecting <laughs> <When you come laughs> them, I do not play. That is, and, and so I feel the same way about my clients because they're it's very intrusive. The home buying process is very intrusive yeah. because we're going to get all the way into your personal business that probably some even your best friends, if you have an ego, don't know. Right. They may think you're rolling in the dough. And in actuality, you're a month away from being broke. Right. And I'm going to see what your finances look like. I'm going to see what you did in the past. I'm going to see in some respects, especially when you deal with married couples, I'm going to see what's really bubbling to the top when you are arguing in front of me, mm. you know, that you don't want other people to hear. And, and you know, hear you guys <laughs> talking to each other like this, which is a whole nother thing because we're all human. So that aspect I love what I get the most enjoyment out what I'm currently doing right now. And it's not monetized, but I am working on that. So stay tuned because I'm going to have some things coming up sooner, better than later that I've been putting the groundwork in place for. And I'm not going to go on this huge change because there's nothing to do with this. But when I was diagnosed with MSRJ, this is the stuff that people didn't get to see. RJ, I lost everything. Mm. And when I say everything, RJ, I lost my business. Mm. My first symptom, I couldn't get my right and left leg in sync. And at that point, my son was two years old and I just felt like because I'm such a, you know, I was blessed enough to come from a two parent home. I was like, my son's going, no, daddy is here. Don't you ever. He's here. And I felt like, well, maybe because I've been working so much, I pulled something and 
I'm getting up with him in the mornings. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being a full-time parent and husband plus an entrepreneur at the same time. I just figured, hey, I pulled something. Well, as time went on and I ignored it, I went completely blind in one eye. Then my speech became very slurred and I couldn't talk. And so once all that started, because I never said anything to my wife. I never said anything to mm. anybody about what was going on with me. Because one, society-wise, RJ, whether we admit it or not, right, wrong, and different. As an African-American male, you know, whether it was society, because I had my dad has been one of the best examples to me of being a man, honoring your wife, being a good father. But society will put this pressure on you that you have to take it all on and you don't cry. You don't get scared. You don't be fearful. You just man up and you do it. And so with that mentality, man, when I started losing everything, I started thinking like, seriously, I'm no good at this point. I can't. How am I going to tell my child I can't pick him up? Because my arms aren't working or if they fall, I can't run to them because my legs aren't working right now. Or I can't I can't communicate like I can't tell you it's going to be OK. And it sounds like a cliche, RJ, but when those things are taken away from you. Yeah, bruh. I remember one day I was sitting there. I couldn't really talk. And it's funny because I didn't realize I was blind. I just knew everything was shake when I would look to the corners. But. When I was sitting there one day, I was getting my infusion. I was literally, these days, they send a nurse to your house. They hook me up to the IV machine, and I'm sitting on my couch. I'm just sitting there. I can't talk, and I can't really walk, and my legs aren't working. And mind you, you've been told now this is a chronic disease. There's no cure for it. Studies show that, you know, your lifespan has been cut now from eight to ten years. You're going to die sooner. So you're getting all this negative stuff, and there's no cure, and it's chronic, and Minute by minute, day by day, hour by hour, it's getting worse. You know, all these things, you're you're wrestling with all this. It's a hard pill to swallow. When you're also like, my wife is pregnant. Mm. My son is young. I've got this business that I built from nothing that is finally thriving. And just, I mean, just like that, it's over. My neurologist told me, he said, listen, you're going to have to stop. Two of the biggest things that bring on exasperations with multiple sclerosis are heat and stress. Anybody that works for themselves, I don't care what you say, they're stressful. There's stress that comes with that. So that is what it is. And it, we live in Texas, bro. Come on. Eat. Yeah. We live in Texas. Plus, when you're in a kitchen, it gets absolutely, you know, especially commercial kitchens, it gets, it gets extremely hot. And so I was hard headed. It was during the NBA All-Star event, the Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith event. I took it on and was like, bet, let's do it. This was a referral that I had gotten from Reebok, who I did the Super Bowl with. So mm-hmm. business is thriving at this point. I've got mm-hmm. multi-million dollar companies contacting me. To provide mm. a service. I'm, I'm like, how am I going to quit this? I'm not quitting. I don't care if I can't see. I don't care if I can't talk. I can't care if I can't walk. We're going to figure this out. Because again, that male ego is, nah, man, you man up. We're going to make this happen. My legs went out on me completely in the kitchen uh, while we're preparing for the event. And I remember sitting on the floor thinking like, all right, Lord, I get it. I get it. I'm going, this is it. Like, this is literally going to be the last event that I do because my body cannot physically handle it. And do I want to make money or do I want to be here long-term for this right. family that I have just created and got another one on the way and a wife who I'll be real. My wife is strong. Mm-hmm. Angela's tough as nails mm-hmm. and she don't need me. She don't need me to, 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 to be successful in life and to thrive, but she does. She does. Mm-hmm. And I know I can't leave here anytime early. Lord is going to take me away from here anytime soon because they need me right now. And so I literally, it was a hard, I like guess one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make in my life to say, that little black box box company and Chef Jeff's Culinary Cuisine did not exist until literally I created them. And I, I blood, sweat, tears, the whole nine nurtured these things. 
and now it's thriving. And everything that I've built in the last 10 years is getting ready to stop. So now I'm wrestling mentally with, okay, how do I contribute? If my moneymaker is no longer available to me, how do I contribute? Two, how do I take care of my child and this newborn that's getting ready to come out? And then three, straight up, like, really, what in the hell am I about to do? Because at that point in time, I'm no good to anybody. I can't do anything. And it's crazy how I've always been a faithful person, bro. I've always had been. But when you got to walk it, it builds something in you that and, and I want to stress this to anybody that ever hears this, man. Listen, I'm not going to get all preachy on anyone, but I will tell you this much and I have no problem being clear about it. My faith in God is truly honestly what got me through this is why we're sitting here right now. Yeah. Like I'm talking to you, RJ. This was not possible. And I was being prepared for life in a wheelchair. And if my house caught on fire, I could run upstairs and grab my children and run up out of here with the best of them. And Mm. that was not possible. Not only was it not possible, but I wasn't being in certain people in the medical world world were not encouraging me. I'm told to get ready to figure out how to use a walker. No, I wasn't accepting that. I wasn't accepting that. And it's funny, RJ, at that point in time, you know, I got tattoos and my ears were pierced when I was my younger days, but I'm terrified of needles. Mm. When I say I'm terrified of needles, bro, I'm <laughs> terrified of needles, RJ. And so I was like, what are the chances I would get diagnosed with the disease that requires somebody to give themselves shots of all things? <laughs> and in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all that, I'm wrestling with all this stuff in my head and I'm trying to be strong for my family and I can't let them see me fearful because I know if they see me struggling, everything goes awry. And I remember it like it's yesterday. And I tell this to people because I want, I think one, RJ, you and I are talking right now. I think as, as men, African-American men, men in general, period, we got to be more transparent with each other because yeah. lots of times something I'm dealing with, somebody else has dealt with, but we have so mm. much ego and pride. We don't want to admit it. Right. And society has us in a place where we're not allowed to be fearful and we're not allowed to be scared. But, and I, and I, I hadn't cried in a long time, RJ. Mm. I went outside on that third day. It was like three o'clock in the morning. And I sat on my porch, man. I'm telling you, I cried like a baby, mm. like that type of cry when you're uh, uh, yeah. uh, in yeah. camp. And I didn't realize how bad I needed it. Yeah. Like I've been holding it all in and smiling in people's faces and trying to be positive for them. Yeah. Not realizing I needed to process this first. And in our specifically in African-American male society, we don't get a chance to be scared right and we don't have a chance to process like you man up you man up and it wasn't working for me at that time and i didn't realize it but i'm gonna tell you rj after i did that outside i dried my eyes and i was like all right lord i don't know what to do i am literally at that place where i'm going to have to lean on you because i have no idea what i'm doing and what's going to happen and how i'm going to even get through this because i've never dealt with anything like this but the irony is I used to always also say, too, how am I going to motivate people? If this is what I want to do in life and I really want to be a motivational speaker. And how am I going to motivate somebody if I've never genuinely like really been through something tragic? Mm. That's just my mindset, what I felt like. I don't by any means feel like God was like, all right, Jeff, here, you're going to have multiple screws. <laughs> you know, this is what's going to happen. So you can. No, that's not what happened. But I am also always speaking about faith and how you got to exude it. Faith isn't when you when you get the red slip that your lights getting ready to get cut off mm. on the 15th. And you know you're getting paid 
So they may get turned off that night. They may not, but I'm getting paid. So I'll be able to take care of it. Yeah. That's not faith. Faith is I have no idea where it's coming from. I am completely confused and lost right now. And I need a miracle. And I'm going to stand here positive. I'm going to stand here knowing that God, you're going to deliver me. And it's crazy, RJ. And, and things can get worse before it gets better. The shots that I was giving myself, oh, they were horrible and they hurt. And then I would feel horrible for the next two days. My quality of life sucked. I was miserable. Same, you put, putting the shots in the same place or all over? Or what? So I diminished them in the back of my arm, mm. my backside, my stomach, and mm. my thighs. And so they initially sent the nurse to my house for the, for the first injection. Now, my wife is a pharmacist. She gives flu shots all the time. She gives immunization shots. But I also knew... I need to know how to do this because she's not going to be around all the time. Right. Two, and I say it facetiously, but hey, we've been married going on 16 years. I wouldn't trade it for the world. But anybody that's been married knows there are times where you don't see eye to eye. I don't need this woman holding a needle in her hand mad at me <laughs> and having access to my body. And I say it, you know, jokingly because she would never do anything to me. But we laugh about it. So I, I was I was very intent on knowing how to do this myself. Mm-hmm. And so I told the nurse, the scariest place to me is my stomach to me. Mm-hmm. That's the scariest place yeah. for me to give a shot. So I'll do it there first. And RJ, I'm not joking, bro. It, she came, she showed up about six o'clock. It was a big production. My parents came up from Austin. My wife took off work. Everybody's mm-hmm. sitting here and I'm like a, a, a cage animal sitting at the table. And I've got this needle in my hand. And the nurse was like, okay, go ahead. And so I'm sitting there with it on my stomach and I couldn't push the I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get myself to do it. And so I turned to her and I was like, this is like 45 minutes later. We're talking, you know, joking in between. But I'm thinking like this lady has to get home. I know she has a family. And so I told her, I said, listen, ma'am, go home. I will tell the powers that be that you stayed here the entire time. I will tell them that you did an amazing job. But I don't know when I'm getting ready to shoot this thing in my stomach. And I don't want you to have to sit here any longer. And so long story short, we laughed about it. I ended up doing it. It probably took me about an hour, but I finally did it. And the funny part is my butt hurt worse than anywhere. I would have thought my stomach, but it was easy. My stomach didn't hurt at all. The problem was the side effects. The next 48 hours, you have flu-like symptoms. Um, You feel horrible. And then right when you even kind of feel better, it's time to do it all over again. And so I wasn't working. I was dealing with the mental anguish. I have the most amazing wife, RJ, because at no point did she ever try to make me feel like I wasn't pulling my weight or... She needed more from me. She was extremely nurturing. And I found myself putting more pressure on myself than needed to be. Because here I am still trying to take catering calls, knowing I can't do anything and outsourcing it to my staff. And I'm still trying to do all this stuff. And it's not helping my health get any better. And that process, I'm going to tell you what I learned. I was sitting on the couch. I couldn't talk. I couldn't communicate. But it's like a light went off in my head. I don't want people to empathize to the point where they have to go through something like this in order to get it. And keep in mind, RJ, I'm not angelic. I'm not a saint by any means, but I genuinely feel like I was a good person and that I don't take advantage of people. I do the small things I felt like in life, especially like here in Houston. I'm that person that lets you over in traffic when nobody wants Mm -hmm. to let you. So I did think to myself, why is this happening to me of all people? Like, why? And it's like a light went off in my head. It was like, you found your purpose, Jeff. I used to say all the time, if I'm not supposed to be catering, I, I built this from nothing. God, take this away. Because there came a point when you work for yourself. I'm traveling now. I'm not at home with my child like I want to be. 
I used to say, Lord, take it away if this is not for me. Like, if this is not what I'm supposed to do, because you know my personality, I will not quit and I will not stop. Right. Take it away. And again, I don't think God said, here, Jeff, you're going to be diagnosed with chronic multiple sclerosis. But what it did do for me, RJ, it gave me what I needed as Jeff to say, I didn't quit. I have to stop. I found solace in the fact that, hey, I never quit. I'm not going to live longer if I don't quit doing this now. Like if I keep mm-hmm. this up, it's going to expedite my time on earth. And I got a lot to teach my children right. and I, I love life and I love being here and I want to see them grow. And I want to walk my literally, I literally want to walk my daughter down the aisle. So I need to get, I need to get my, I need to get my health in order. And again, things got worse. My, my, my shots ended up elevating my liver enzymes to say, this is the point that this stuff people didn't even get to see that was going on in here. It spiked so bad that my neurologist called me immediately and was like, do not take another shot. Do not do anything for the next two weeks. I just want you drinking water and eating healthy. Well, again, when you're told that this is a chronic disease and that it's getting worse, no matter what you do, we're just trying to slow it from getting worse. In my head, I'm like two weeks. I don't have two weeks. I'm dying. Like I'm literally my body is deteriorating and you're telling me we got to wait two weeks. No, we need to figure something else out. I learned in those two weeks, RJ, what real faith is about, because those two weeks turned into six months. I did not get another medication for multiple sclerosis for six months because my liver enzymes were so blown out of proportion that my health was really at risk at that point. And so now I'm wrestling with, okay, I'm not taking anything to slow this progression because y'all already told me there's no cure. I'm just trying to slow the inevitable from happening to myself. But now you're telling me these modulators are supposed to slow it down. I can't even do that anymore. In that time, RJ, because I, I made the decision, I said, you know what, God, I'm just going to I'm gonna do my best to be positive. And at that point, my son had was just starting early child development school. So I poured everything I had into him, RJ. Like, we're going to work. We're going to, you know, stuff that average parents don't get to do with their kids. Right. I started finding positive in things like I get to spend all this time with you. So I'm going to pour everything I have into you right now. And, you know, he's thriving. I, I genuinely feel like that hands on, like that early with being able to be hands on and work with him and work with him, yeah. work with him. I say this respectfully, do the smart. Yeah. And I feel like that played a role in that. And mm-hmm. I, and I and really feel good to see it now, you know, manifesting Two. I got my vision back while I wasn't on medication. A couple of days later, my speech started coming back to me. And then I got out of it because my my telltale would always be you take people take things for granted. When you can't really walk on your own, something as simple as we take for granted is getting up to use the restroom in the middle of the night becomes, man, let me tell you, that can become a a problem. Mm -hmm. So I I couldn't sleep well because I would constantly be concerned about potty training my child. The last thing I need to be doing is on myself mm. i got image i got an ego i have my mm. own i don't want to be wet in the bed right so i wouldn't sleep when i would get up nervously just thinking i need to be you know get close to the toilet get close to the toilet and i remember one morning i got up and i started walking and i was like oh my gosh i'm not like my legs are in sync i can like i can feel them i can actually feel my legs and i'm taking one step after the other and i'm able and this to is, and this is when you're all, not taking medicine medication this is all within those six months wow all of it was happening Again, RJ, I am not advocating for people not to take. Right. Remember, I was right. told to do this. I didn't just become cavalier and say, I'm not going to, you know, um, medicine has its place. Um, yeah. I'm never going to sit and tell people do not take medicine. But my spiritual side got filled during that time. Mm. And I was able to see. I was able to communicate. Yes, things still happen. I still had some complications and challenges I had to deal with. But 
within that time frame, I got so much more confidence about myself and it did so much for me to realize that, you know what? And this is, this is for, for, if I don't say anything that's important, anybody takes anything from this. I don't care how bad and bleak it looks. I mean, I don't care how dark, because there are things I haven't even said to you on here that happened during that time, RJ, that mm-hmm. were so bad that you think I've never, I'm not going to, I'm front. I've never been suicidal. I've never done any of that, but I can see how individuals who don't have that mental fortitude or that faith in God or right. whatever it is that they, they draw upon. I see how people give up because it can seem like there's no way out. Like there's right. no way out. It's going to be embarrassing. It's going to hurt. It's going to do all these things. And I have no way out. But I was able to if you turned off all the lights where you're sitting right now and closed the windows and just made it completely black, completely black, RJ, if I the smallest glimmer of light, you would be able to see it. If it was in the corner of the room, if it was way on the other side, if it was right. behind you, the smallest you can see it radiates. And what I've come to find, I don't care what it is, you mm. find that glimmer of light. In all those bad situations, there's something, I promise, there's there's a glimmer of light in it. There is. Find it. And don't focus so much on the bad stuff. You can't ignore the bad stuff. You will have to face it. But focus on that little glimmer of light that you can find and put your emphasis on that. And a byproduct will be the things that you were fearful of or the things that weren't working. When you're so busy laughing, being happy, finding something to be positive about, Mm -hmm. that's time that's not given to worrying and stressing. And what you'll find is some of your best ideas and solutions come during that time. Some of it is just pure faith. Things happen to me that are unexplainable. They just happen to me. And so I take that into real estate. I take that into the public speaking opportunities I've had. I've got to get up in front of multi-million dollar companies now and be asked to come back and things are happening now. And I say all that to say through this entire process, I am now heading towards monetizing what I really want to do in life. And what I've come to find is we can go to college, we can get all the degrees, the doctorates, the masters that we want in life. Mm Mm-hmm. But true peace of mind is getting paid to do what you enjoy doing. That is to me is true peace of mind. And I mean, if that's you're making $50,000 a year, if you're making $30,000 a year, if you're making, you know, of course, we all want to let's be multimillionaires, billionaires and do that. But you can't put a price tag on peace of mind. And if I can wake up and go to bed each night feeling like fulfilled. You can't put a price tag on that. I'm mm-hmm. not saying, yes, I want to be, yes, I want to be a multimillionaire. Yes, I want to be able to build this empire, take care of my family and generations to come and help those individuals out there. But if for some reason I, I'm not even going to say I'm not going to get there. During the process of getting there, I'm going to appreciate where I am. Right. Human beings, you're going to get frustrated. You are going to get down. It's okay to get upset. Hell, I still... Is as faithful and godly as I am, hey, I know I'm never supposed to be a preacher. I told my mom and wife this. They were like, you're going to. I was like, no, I'm not going to be a preacher. I'm going to tell you why, because I curse too much. I can watch a Philadelphia Eagles game and, and let it work <laughs> out. So I know God has me where I'm supposed to be. I know God has me where I'm supposed to be. And so that's not in my cards. But letting people know, because it's not just MS. It's everybody, RJ, everybody's going to go through something in life. I don't care what it is. You're going to go through something. That's and right. you're going to have to decide in that moment, am I going to fight or am I going to flight? And, you know, I don't want to offend anyone. I'm Again, I'm speaking from my personal experience. 
I'm a believer. I have a faith in God. I believe in salvation. I believe in the power of your tongue and speaking mm. over yourself. And I could spend a whole nother two hours talking to you about that because <laughs> I've, I've seen it on the good and the bad end. Yeah. But putting those things and taking that into your business, take that aspect of it. If you don't hear anything I say, whether it's the prospecting, what I do on a day to day, take that. Focus on the glimmer of light. Faith without action is dead. And what I mean is don't sit up and be one of those people that says, I'm not worried about what's going on because God's just going to take care of me or it's just going to be OK. No, you're going to have to put some type of action into play. I call those foolish faith acts where you want to act like everything's going to be OK. But in reality, you don't want to do anything. Right. Um, but fear or you don't know is holding you. You don't want to do anything. So faith without action is dead. You're going to have to do something. But you don't have to have all the answers. You're human. You're allowed to get upset. I used to put a lot of pressure on myself because here I am telling people, be positive during your dark times. And then here I am pissed off that mm. something didn't work out. You're human, but don't stay in that place. Yeah. You're allowed to get upset. You're allowed to cry. You're allowed to be fearful. You're allowed to do all those things and process it because you're a human being. But after you're done, get up. Don't like don't stay in that place. Don't stay in that place. And I've had the opportunity, RJ, like there's a friend of mine that I went to school with. He was a football player. And you know how it goes. You know, fraternities and football players sometimes don't always see eye to eye. Can be, and me and him never had a problem. But we weren't the best of friends, but we were, I would say, acquaintances. We spoke to each other. Yeah. He went on to play professional ball for a while. And he recently got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Nobody mm. knows. Nobody knows. And kind of, and I, I want to wrap this in here, too, because I wanted to make sure I said this while I was on the phone with you. This journey has also, this is where you realize things happen. RJ, I, you know, you and I are cool, RJ. We've hung mm. out. Crew in college, we partied together, did these different right. things. I knew Natalie, but I didn't like personally know Natalie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't go to school with her the same way you went to school with Angela. But it's amazing how Nat- your family, your household played a major role in my recovery without even knowing it. Like, I didn't know this was going to happen. Yeah. But it turned out that Natalie happened to know one of our frat brothers. And keep this in mind, too. This is very important with this story. Black males, we're at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to multiple sclerosis like gender wise race wise black men are the very bottom we are the Mm. least affected by this disease but it also attacks us the hardest so having somebody that is my age that is of my race that is my frat brother Mm -hmm. and and rj we're social i I thought i knew pretty much every noop in texas (laughs) i met micah love didn't know him, but here it is that your wife has a relationship with him. She puts us in the contact and he was literally my rock mm. during, like, I was able to like for real be myself with my fears and things because he had been through it. Yeah. And that was paramount in me getting to where I am. We don't even, we don't realize what we need sometimes. We don't realize it. I didn't realize I needed Natalie to reach out. I needed all that to happen so that I could end up talking with him. Yeah. And to this day, we are walking lockstep and, you know, with each other. And you know, I've watched his his health dip and come back. And I've been able to he's been like my barometer and my that person that can genuinely empathize with you, you know, empathize with me, with what I was going through. Yeah. And that's the third piece that I want people to understand. Empathy, empathy, empathy. When I said that I wanted people to have to run a business, RJ. Is so they could empathize me and DJ. We just had this debate yesterday because we always going back and forth about things. Um, And I love it because he challenges me on my perspective and vice versa. But I was saying to genuinely empathize with someone, not sympathize, but empathize with them. 
your wife and my wife both carried a child in their stomach. Mm-hmm. We were there for it. First trimester, second trimester, nesting stage, third. The whole we were there for it. But do you know how it feels to carry a body inside your stomach? No. Because I don't. <laughs> okay. Now, that's just that aspect. That's the physical. Plus all the other stuff that's changing with their body. On top of that, they've got their mental aspect that they're wrestling with and dealing. So though we were there, we're dedicated husbands and soon to be fathers. We cannot truly empathize with what they're going through. And so it was very important that I didn't realize it to have somebody that could genuinely in like real time, truly empathize with what it is to be diagnosed with MS, what it is to have somebody tell you all these things that are going to happen and what's not going to happen. And to have him tell you, you know what, you're going to be all right. I've in return had to do that for this individual that played football because his health, it spiraled out of control a lot faster than mine. Uh And he's not in the same situation that I am. But it's amazing to watch where he was, to see where he is now. And I'm not going to get emotional. I've been doing this enough. There's a time where I start crying right now at this part. But watching his spirit, like, it's uplifted now. And he's talking to somebody that's like, look, bro, I know everything you're going through. I've been there. The taboo stuff that we didn't talk about to people. There's a lot of stuff that happens to your body, RJ, that you, man, you don't want to tell nobody about that. I mean, I used the restroom on myself a couple times driving home and had no control. And I'm like, man, I'm I'm 40. This is not supposed to be happening to me. I don't do this. You know, I chuckle and laugh at people that poop on themselves and pee on themselves. <laughs> and like, you know, like, man, get your stuff together. You know, jokingly, but yeah. this is not supposed to happen to me. Yeah. And when you've gone through those things, and I'm being transparent because I feel like that's what helps people. I want to be clear, it doesn't happen to me anymore. It hasn't in the last <laughs> few years. But when it did, I had to sit in my driveway and not want to walk inside my own house mm. because I did not want to disclose what just happened. I've got this oh. little boy running around in a pull-up that I'm telling Boy, tell me you need to use the bathroom. Stop using yeah. the bathroom right stuff. And so there's all these things that happen. Empathy, man. Empathy, empathy, empathy. Do yeah. your best to empathize with everyone. Yeah. And that and that couldn't ring more true than right now what's going on in not only just this country, but this world right now. I think if every race and gender had empathy for each other, man, we would not have half, a, I mean, three-fourths of the issues we have in this world right now. Yeah. I would understand where you're coming from. You understand where I'm coming from. And we would look for a solution, understanding what we're going through versus from your side of the track and my side of the track and talking down to each other on what needs to happen and who needs to do what and all that good stuff. No, you, you, you've been through this with me. Yeah. All the race relation stuff that's going on right now. If we could for a day, you know, for a month, like I said, uh, for a month, let's switch. Be a black man for a month. Be a black man for a month and just yeah. walk the streets and do you. Then get your white skin back. You're going to empathize with what I'm saying to you now and what my experience is. And you won't roll your eyes and you won't assume that I'm embellishing. You'll truly understand why we fear what we fear and say what we say and do what we do. And now we can work on a solution together. Hmm. Uh, and that goes across the board with everything. And I, I mean that gender, sexual preference, race, culture, all that, RJ. If we could. If we can find a way to push a magic button and get everybody to empathize, man, business will be better. Life will be better. Everything will be better. So that's what I'm working on, man. I'm trying to save the world. Man, well, geez, that was truly motivational, seriously. And I love, you know, you opened up on that. You opened up. You were very transparent. And I 100% agree with you with the stigma that we have of just not opening up and just feeling like what a man is supposed to be. 
right. and, and feeling like a failure if you're not doing what typically a man is supposed to be absolutely. and how really actually pushes you back because of that, because you're not opening up. No, so, absolutely. You miss out on opportunities to grow. Exactly. You do. You do. So, man, I, I think that's really good lessons that you've you've given great advice. And, and I love the recovery that you had. And it's amazing. I didn't know that this recovery happened when you weren't even taking uh-huh. medicine. That is amazing, man. And you talk about your faith in. Right. Yeah. It's crazy, mm-hmm. RG. That's when, that's when it happened. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And I want to be clear. I'm not encouraging people to stop. Right. You know, do do what your doctor says. Right. This was by default what happened to me. I wasn't a cavalier person that said, I'm just not taking meds anymore. Yeah. It By default, it happened that way. So I want to be yep. clear. But yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. I gained more mental and physical clarity and anything positive associated with that during that time. Mm. Wow. So the motivational speaking and, and the public speaking, I think it's definitely something that I can tell you're passionate about and, and an avenue. It just like how you, you took off, you were passionate about catering and it took off. I can see the same thing here. It's something you're passionate about. And I know you're going to put 110% in it and it's going to take off. So and in agreement with you, bro. Yeah. Yes, sir. So, and we're going to talk again about that when it's time. Yep. 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 So we'll convert. So last that. question. Last question. Yes, when I asked you, what is your most memorable moment? We talked about real estate and being a real estate agent, but it can be the real estate agent. It can be about your public speaking right now. It can be about catering. Most memorable moment you've had. Best memorable moment. Let's see. Gosh, I have several, but let's see. Which one, one that stands out with the speaking aspect? Mm-hmm. So basically what ended up happening, I was approached by an individual with the MS Society, the local MS Society here in Houston, about being what's called an ambassador. An MS ambassador. And basically, you go out and you speak to teams for the MS-150 fundraiser, which is a bike ride from Houston, which is now going to be in College Station, Texas, Texas A&M University, and also, as well as companies. And I've been doing this now. This will be my third year that I've gone out and doing it. Every crowd is different. Mm-hmm. Um, some are huge and large, and you may have a crowd of three or four. just depends what you're, what you're speaking to. But when I was done, I remember when I was coming off the stage, I was conversing with the individual who had booked me to come, and I could tell they were looking over my shoulder. And I motioned, I looked back, and I saw this, this lady was waiting for me. And she had tears in her eyes. And when I turned around, she just kind of opened up her arms, and we hugged. And we hugged for a while. And she told me some stuff in that moment. She told me some things and the irony, RJ, it had nothing to do with multiple sclerosis. It had everything to do with what I said at the end about whether everybody's going to go through something, whether it's marital, parental, job related, sickness, disease, whatever that is, you're going to go through something. And it's during that time when you have to rise to your best, be human, process it, rise to your best. And take that same, what I'm telling you that happened with me, and the same glimmer of light. And she she was going through something with her husband at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm not a psychologist. I wasn't talking about that today. But the byproduct of that was she was like, I needed to hear exactly what you said mm-hmm. right this moment. Because the conversation I was getting ready to have when I got home today, it changed my perspective. And... Not just with that, but I'm happy here at work. Like everything that you said, I'm looking at your situation and it just put it back in my face. You know what? Be thankful for what I have. Um, The sky isn't always falling when I think so. And basically everything that I was speaking on, 
it came back. Like, mm. here's this person that I touched and she got it and it did something for her. And the irony is the next year, the following year, I saw her not at the speaking engagement, but at something else that was associated with the MS Society. And she came up to me and some of the best things that she was telling me. And we went back to that day when, when I was speaking and I said, you know what? That just confirms this is why I enjoy doing what I do. Yeah. This is why I'm going to thrive doing this because I love to talk, as you can see, RJ. If I can get paid to run my mouth plus <laughs> help somebody, man, come on, let's go. Let's go. So that I will say that that's one of the most memorable because it paid dividends, not just then, but down the line. And that's what I'm doing, RJ. I'm going yeah. to represent you, whether you want to sell, buy, or invest in a home. Yeah. And I'm going to let you know good. I'm going to let you know something good about life during that time and long term. I plan on doing this. And I'm like I said, I, I'm putting the groundwork in place now. But I, my plan is to monetize this and do yeah. it on a global. On a nice. Global. Yes, sir. Well, great. Well, that's great to see that what you're doing is helping others and, and making an impact. So that's that's awesome. You know. We're at the end of the interview, but want to see if there's anything additional that you wanted to add or anything might have left out. No, I think I have taken up enough of your time. I will say, RJ, I love what you're doing with this. I think this is going to open up a lot of dialogue mm-hmm. um, as well as you're creating something right now. Mm-hmm. You're literally creating something mm-hmm. right now, and I cannot <laughs> wait to watch it manifest, grow. And we, we sit, we sit in Cheers in Paris about this, and talk about when we were sitting here talking. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that. I mean that. Well, thanks, I appreciate that. Thank you, thank you. Likewise. Likewise. Well, let's get to some quick hitter questions for, okay. just for fun, for people to get to know you better. All right, a little let's bit better. Do it. Let's so, do it. first one, what's your? And I already know this one, but what's your favorite sports team? Oh yeah. <laughs> I have given everything that I have to God, my family, and the Philadelphia Eagles. That is, there's no question whatsoever. They are my in all. My they they hung the moon, the sun, all that good stuff. That's my. I play for them. They just don't know it. They just don't know it. <laughs> That's how serious it is. Yes, sir. I'm on the team. I am on the team. All right, cornerback. All right. Absolutely. Favorite, Absolutely. <laughs> Favorite movie or show? I have a lot of those, but hands down. Like I could see it over and over again, and I it's still good. The Last Dragon. The oh, Last Dragon too. is one of my favorite movies. It's a pop culture. Funny enough, my wife had never seen it when we got married. And I was I went to Best Buy and bought it. It was like you're gonna watch this movie. It's yeah. part of African American history, and you're gonna watch it, even though really it's not. But still, yeah. No, The Last Dragon, man, hands down, is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, I, I made my wife watch it also, Emma. This is my there brother and my favorite movie. See, so, yep. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Favorite musical artist or group? So, again, RJ, I listen to a lot of music and have been like, that's another one of my vices. Um, back when we bought CDs, I knew they came out on Tuesdays. I was at Best Buy every Tuesday on my lunch break. I would go to Best Buy and I would. Wow. Get, so the range is huge. And I listen to all kinds of genres, predominantly hip hop and R&B. But funny enough, OK, let me, let me be clear. I love indie groups. Little Brother, who isn't known as much mm. at that point in time from North Carolina, Fonte, Foreign Exchange. Yeah. Anybody that's hot, uh, you know, Drake, Snoop, mm. anybody that's typical that people will say. Yeah. Yes. If you go through my through my playlist right now, I have a different place with all that stuff. But the best, I'll tell it this way, the best concert I've ever been to in my life was Sade. Oh, really? Okay. All right, Jay, listen. And I've been to a lot of concerts. And when I say I've been to a lot of concerts, festival <laughs> the whole night. Uh, that's one thing me and my brother-in-law, we do a lot. We go to concerts a lot together. But it was one of the most amazing, like, I told my, jokingly, I told Andrew, listen, 
I'm gonna, when this is over, let's ask her to come home with us and we'll figure it out. <laughs> let's figure it out. Figure it out. We'll figure it out. I just want you to live with us and, and just be a part of our family because, man, the concert was just amazing. It was amazing. But yeah, right now, I, I don't want to admit because it makes me feel like I'm getting older when I say these new cats. Because yeah. I remember back when people were saying, like, man, that's trash. That ain't hip hop. So mm-hmm. I can't tell you every little, like every little, little, little guy, little this, yeah, little, that, right. little that. I can't tell you everybody, but old school, some of the current, I dig anything, you know, acid jazz, down tempo. The range is huge, man. Pop, yeah. you know, hold on. I, I like it all. I like okay. it. Okay. And what about favorite vacation spot? Okay. So. To this day, one of the best places we went to, and it was for a whole bunch of different reasons, but Toronto. Mm. I loved the city of Toronto. The people. My neighbor across the street is actually from Toronto, and it's hard to generalize an entire area. Man, are they some of the nicest, amazing people you would mm-hmm. ever meet? Like we, but we loved the people the whole time we were there. We actually had a couple that we met in line for this restaurant we were going to. An elderly, an older white couple. We hit it off so well, they asked us to come sit with them for dinner and eat with them. And it was like, this doesn't happen at home. And we, we're friendly <laughs> to everybody. But it was just, it was really good. It was a, It's like a clean New York. The food aspect was amazing. It was very diverse. It had different areas. And then Nice, south of France, man. Nice, that's mm. the other one. Okay. Toronto and Nice, those are two of my favorite vacation spots. All right. And then last, especially being a chef, I want to hear this. Your favorite food or drink? This is always so, so hard. It's so, <laughs> I don't have any, I will say this, I don't have one specific favorite food. I can tell you a genre. If it's coming out the ocean, nine times out of 10, I'll eat it. Okay. Anything that is seafood related and even the scary, you know, Andrew Zimmerman, bizarre food stuff that most people won't try. Yeah. I'm down to try it. I'm down to yeah. eat it. If it comes out the ocean and if it's put on a grill, if it can be smoked or grilled and it comes out the ocean, oh, sign me up. Yeah, and right. just a, a, something people don't typically do, man, listen, crab legs, like snow crab legs or Alaskan man on your smoker. Man, some of the best food you can ever eat. and some of the easiest you'll ever make. You don't have to do a lot. But, man, it's amazing. It's amazing. Try Matter of fact, all when right. all this is over and we have you guys over for game night or whatnot, we gonna, I'm going to make some. I'm hey, bet. Hey, I'm going to remind you of that. Okay. <laughs> you have to trust me. We're going to eat. We don't do anything we're going to eat, RJ. I promise you that. All right. All right. Now, so is there any way that people can get in touch with you, whether it's the Absolutely. public speaking for being for a realtor? Or, or, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Everything is branded the same. It's Chef. C-H-E-F. That is one F. Some of the most educated people I know have put two Fs in chef. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just a, but it happens. I know. I said the same thing. C-H-E-F-J-E-F-F Houston. That's my Gmail account. That's my IG account. That's my Facebook account. Chef Jeff Houston at Gmail is my email. Chef Jeff Houston is my Facebook. You can find me through Chef Jeff Houston all throughout the world, like Carmen San Diego. Chef Jeff Houston all over. All over. Well, great. Hey, man, this has been a great conversation. Unbelievable advice, storytelling, motivational, you know, opening up and being very transparent in this as well. Like extremely transparent. I really appreciate it. And thank you. I appreciate you, RJ. Anytime, yeah. man. We're going to get up soon. All right. Yep. All right, my man. Be patient. Talk to you my love. We'll get up. All right, my man. All right, bye. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be in the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.